every day we were telling these really tragic stories. And I just wanted a place where we could excavate and examine our feelings and examine this pathway towards liberation and joy. Welcome back to The Cypher, a series of conversations with creators from Africa and its diaspora who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm your host, Christabel Ntiebwadi. Today's show, we're speaking with Tonya Mosley. She's an award-winning radio and television journalist. She's also a podcaster. Her show is called Truth Be Told. It's an advice-based look at the stories that epitomize the Black American experience. On the show, she's had guests like Nikki Giovanni and Anthony Hamilton, as well as Tarana Burke, and she explores topics that have impacted public discussion. She talks about Black love, she talks about raising free-thinking Black children, and it's all about creating a safe space for Black people. And while it focuses on the African-American perspective, there's lots and lots for people who may not come from that perspective, whether you're from the diaspora or otherwise. On today's show, you're going to hear about how she continues to create and develop safe spaces for everybody through her podcast. I'm really excited about this one. Keep listening. I want to start here, Tonya. I follow you on the interwebs. Yes, the interwebs. As the we interwebs, know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I will never forget this one thing. And I saw on your Twitter feed, you had posted a letter or something that you wrote as a teenager about oh, your yeah. mission. Yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. Yeah. There you go. I can't remember the exact words, so you know I'm not going to try and paraphrase it. But what I got from it was your real sense of mission. And what I got from it was that you were doing the thing that you said you wanted to do. And I would be like, mm. oh, yeah, she's like me, but she did the thing. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but all jokes aside, like I want to talk about that. Your mission, you knew. When did you know? Well, first of all, Christabel, it is so great to be in conversation with you. I am such an admirer of you and your work and wow. this podcast and just opening space for conversation like this. So first of all, thank you for that. And then thank you for following me on the interwebs and noticing well, you know. that post. You know, I know we follow each other. We have to be there for each other. But, you know, I mean, I guess I would say early on, I think we like to think, oh, okay, we like to look back and put things in a neat bow and say, oh, okay, you know, I always knew. And then I just made that intention and then went with it. The truth of the matter was I've always been an extremely nosy person and an extremely curious, inquisitive person. And what that looked like growing up was that folks would tell me I think too much or I'm too nosy. 
And journalism just seemed like this natural place for me to gravitate towards, to be able to get that curiosity met. And it turned into a love for telling stories about the diaspora and what it means to be Black. As I was unpacking and trying to figure out who I am and my place in the world, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. And at the time that I grew up there, it was probably like 99% Black. You know, the divestment of white people from Detroit and those of other identities was really minuscule at the time of my growing up. It's since changed. It's turning over. But during that time, it was sort of like I was in this fishbowl where like all I knew was what it meant to be Black within the context of a Black city. And as I started to venture out in the world through journalism, I started to see, oh, wait, there is a world in which my identity means something else. And I knew that in terms of, you know, when you're a Black person in America, you do know that because you consume media. But I didn't truly understand that until journalism gave me the pathway to be able to understand what that meant. And so that curiosity has kind of been a through line, even through my journalism, which has taken various different forms. You mentioned I was a television journalist. I was that for the majority of my career. I've also been a print journalist before that. And now I am an audio journalist. And these different mediums have allowed me to be able to connect and deepen my understanding of Blackness in America more broadly. So let's scroll back. You said that you were nosy. Yeah. I share that with you. I understand. Yeah. You also said that you were, I think you said sensitive. I heard sensitive. I do have a deep sense of empathy. So, yeah. I'm saying that because I think that's a superpower of the best storytellers, right? Mm. Because how do you feel the world, right? But how did you, as a young, highly empathetic young woman and girl, how did you navigate that in a world where we're not allowed to be highly empathetic because we are called sensitive she feels too much you feel too much Uh, did you did you get that pushback or was it like seen as a superpower at the time that's a great question you know I I think it depends on the context throughout my television career it it was always an asset believe it or not because I also have these dualities like uh, I had a news boss say to me one time in a meeting and I thought it was very perceptive that I have a spine of steel So I have a spine of steel, but I also am hugely empathetic. But that spine of steel allows me to go into places, to experience things, to be inquisitive, but also be discerning, be compassionately critical is what I call the work that I do. And so while I have empathy, I'm able to tap into what it means to be human and really see that even in flawed characters, even those that we really deem as the bad guys, understanding that the human condition like takes various different forms, it allows me to kind of get or try or attempt to get as close to the truth as possible through that empathy and also like, I'm not somebody who just rolls over, you know? (laughs) So that's what makes a good journalist, you know? Got it, got it, got it. You have this podcast called Truth Be Told. You are a correspondent for Here and Now, but we're focusing on on Truth Be Be Told. But the reason why I mention um, Here and Now is because that's more journalistic. Uh, Mm -hmm. for For those people who know, it's a radio news show and you have a news background and you've applied what you do as a news journalist to your podcast, which feels very much like storytelling in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You're telling, you call it truth be told, you tell the truth of it. And I think that's what you were going for. And as a listener, you hear that, but Mm -hmm. it's very 
narrative, not just in terms of its scripting, but in terms of your reflections. Um, you know, I think about it's technically the second episode because I think the first episode is just you, but the first episode that I know with your edit, your script editor, James. Yes. Yes. And he right. is talking about his relationship with the church. It's about love and his identity as a non-binary person. And I know exactly where I was when I was listening to that. I was driving from drop off, but I couldn't, I couldn't take my ears away from it because I was so incredibly moved by the way in which he shared his struggle. And that's powerful enough. And then what you had the nerve to do was then bring in Nikki Giovanni and mm -hmm. weave through it. So that's the journalistic style of it. And you do that in each of your shows. What was your goal? What did you want to do with that? I, wanted, I don't want to say goal. It feels impersonal. This show feels very personal to me. Mm -hmm. What was your goal mm. with this show? Gosh, like there's so many ways for me to answer this, but I think I answer actually them wanna... in all the ways. Okay, okay, great. You know, I think I want to start by first kind of going back to your previous question about like how my empathy has played out in my career and mm -hmm. leading me to truth be told. You know, before I was a correspondent for Here and Now, I was actually one of the hosts and I decided yeah. to step back and no longer host the show. And part of it was because. There, there were several reasons, but one of the two main reasons was, number one, I became a host in the thick of uh, the Trump era during the Trump presidency. Every single day, it was what was Trump doing and how mm. our country was responding to that, our country and the world. Then the pandemic hit. Then the quote unquote, because I don't even know what we're calling it now, but we're not calling it racial reckoning, but the mm -mm. racial reckoning for lack of, I don't even know what to call it. In big fat quotation marks. <laughs> exactly. And I, in every one of those instances as a host, led the conversation. I would be having like 11 conversations a day, a day about these topics and about death and black death and racism and Trump. And then the insurrection happened. And all of this time I had Truth Be Told as a podcast where I could let my hair down, so to speak, where myself and other people with Black identities would be able to have these real conversations about where we are, what we're thinking, the things that are important to us. And towards the end of the Trump presidency, I just felt completely suffocated by the news. I wasn't even sure what value I was bringing as a host of a daily news magazine show where we were just regurgitating things. We were just telling people about the things that they were dealing with in daily life. We've lost a million people so far to this pandemic. And so, you know, every day we were telling these really tragic stories. And I just wanted a place where we could excavate and examine our feelings and examine this pathway towards liberation and joy. And so that episode that you're talking about with Nikki Giovanni, I really love the idea of intergenerational conversations where, you know, we're in a moment in time as we are right now, but there are people who have lived this in other ways that are just as powerful. And they have that context to be able to bring to the moment to bring a sense of context and also understanding and maybe perspective. And so with James and with Nikki Giovanni, James had just started to come into his identity as a non-binary person, but also a person of deep faith. And he was reconciling those two identities because he grew up in a church where he knew they would not necessarily embrace his identity. 
I still think about the things that Nikki Giovanni said to him during that episode in my day-to-day life. And I think that is what, in this moment, I felt like I need and needed at that time when that episode came out. And I feel like it is the path forward in us thinking about the value of journalism more broadly, because we are so inundated with so much information. It's just you know, you can wake up in the morning and just pick up your phone and and read the headlines. I don't really see the value in that as a journalist. So where is our value? Our value is being able to bring lived experience and depth to help us move through the world and have a deeper understanding of ourselves and the communities we live in. You're listening to The Cypher with me, Christabel Insiabwadi. I'm speaking with Tonya Mosley, the host of Truth Be Told, Keep listening. Then we're back. I'm talking with Tonya Mosley about Truth Be Told, creating safe spaces, and about finding your mission and your passion and your purpose. Here's more of our conversation. We're both trained in journalism and something that you, many things that you said have resonated. But the thing that is jumping out at me right now is this idea of constantly going back into the trauma of it. That's part of the reason, quite frankly, why I stepped out, because you Mm. get burnt out. People talk about burnout. And Mm -hmm. I will admit, for a long time, I held on to this idea of me being a journalist. I, as part of my identity, it was very valuable for me to know that I'm a journalist because I held on to that for so long because that's what I wanted to be. It was very important. And it took me a very long time, just a few years ago, to let that go, even from my, my handles on social media, from any resumes, or even the way that I talked about it, because... I thought that that's how I understood the world, but actually how I understood the world. And even as I talked about journalism, it always came back to story. And I think it's about the empathy part of this, right? And so as I'm listening to you and you're talking about journalism, I think what journalists get trained to do is you've got to tell the story. You've got to tell the story. Well, what is the story, right? But you also talked about you doing the work and effectively being traumatized and then creating a space where you let your hair down. And Mm -hmm. as you said that, I thought that is the wildest thing I've heard, but not (laughs) surprising because you had to find a space to let your hair down because it was too much. Where do you see the state of journalism? That doesn't feel like the right question. It's it's the right question because I think it gets us, it gets us to a place where we can start to have the conversation. First of all, Christabel, I want to know, but you can tell me maybe another time, or if you want to tell me now, was there a moment when you decided, when it when you had this epiphany that like, oh, it's the storytelling that I'm attracted to. And so I don't have to hold on to this identity as a journalist. Was it a moment or was it just a progression over time? It was a progression over time, but yeah. it was a very fearful one right? Because mm-hmm. I kept on going back to it. It's like two steps forward, one step back, two steps yeah. forward, one step back. And doing this podcast is part of that journey for me, right? In that I love to write. Uh, well, I love to write, but I, the work of writing is hard. So maybe I don't love that much too, but I love to write. I love to listen to people. That's why I do the podcast. It's why I got into audio actually, yeah. right? And I love to read. Mm-hmm. I learn the most by listening to people. And I think yeah. that we all do better when we listen to people. So I knew it. So it's 
on one hand, yes, I woke up and I said, this is a thing, but the actual doing of it was a progression. One mm-hmm. very much steeped in fear. Yep. Yep. I feel that. I feel that so deeply. Your question, where do I see the future of journalism? Mm-hmm. I How I can answer that is through something that I know to be a fact right now. Mm-hmm. And that is journalism has not changed by and large the way we do it in 50 years with the advent really maybe 60 years with the advent of television news, it has not changed. We have three mediums by and large, and many of the, now those mediums exhibit themselves in digital and social, but it's still like the same components in the ways that you do it. I think the future involves us really taking a look at it and saying, are the principles of journalism actually what's needed now? Does it truly serve the public? And maybe in the end, it is yes. Those, those base p- principles are the things that serve the public. But I think the ways that we do it are shaped in the image of white men, mm-hmm. white cishet men. And when you put it like that, everything else that has come after that with these diversity initiatives, you know, creating different ways and mechanisms of like doing the thing, but not actually looking at the inside components of doing the thing. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just kind of like attacking on. And so we have to ask ourselves in 50 years, if by and large, these all these diversity initiatives to, to bring in people of color, to build diversity in our coverage has not really worked. Like mm-hmm. it's worked, but it's not worked where it truly reflects the society in which we live. We have to, ex- we have to acknowledge that it's broken. And so mm-hmm. we have to look at the ways that we do it to say, is this the right way? I think that there are many startups who are doing that. And I think I am one of those that is actually taking that step and thinking very deeply as an individual creator. But institutionally, some of these places are still not there. And Mm -hmm. that is the unfortunate part because they are also the ones that hold the most power and with resources and the ways, you know, with resources, essentially, Mm and scope. What potential then, you know, we often hear this, I hear this a lot, I certainly know you do, you know, podcasts have the potential to diversify and I kind of go, stop talking, stop, stop exercising your jaws there. (laughs) But I kind of want to ask you, because you have moved into podcast, what real potential then does podcasting podcasting have, not industry-wise, but maybe just specifically for you? Has Mm -hmm. What freedom has it given you? Yeah, it's given me the freedom to talk to a specific audience that's deeply engaged with the work and to be challenged by that audience too. And I think it has the potential to even deepen further. The challenge with podcasts is that they're pod, they're small. And unless you're someone with a huge amount of resources to be able to have a following that really makes up for that is the challenge. But you know, when I look at my everything is by numbers. But when I look at my numbers and I'm like, okay, we drop it every Thursday at midnight. And by 5 a.m., 6 a.m. when I wake up in the morning, we've got thousands of people who have downloaded it. Almost, it, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting thing right now. Like there's a positive and a negative to think about this thing. But 5 a.m., 6 a.m. every morning for the last few months, it has been the same number of downloads right away. Mm. What that says to me and then it grows over time. And then, you know, there's a seven-day average and a 30-day average. But what that says to me is there is an audience who's ready for it. Yes. They're like, oh, yeah, this is that thing that I love and I want to consume it. There's so much power in that. 
And so I'm actually thinking through, I know what our current mission is and what we offer in the way of conversation and taking a look at through the lens of black liberation and what that means. But I think there is the potential then to use that dedicated audience who is there, who has made a choice out of all of the millions of pieces of content that they could they could choose from. They've made a choice to listen to the cipher, for instance, or truth be told, that there is tremendous opportunity there. What have you learned since you're a veteran? Sorry, I'm gonna say it. You're a veteran audio. Yeah, I was just broadcaster. Yeah. What has this experience doing podcasting? What's been the biggest lesson for you? Mm. Oh, so you want to be real? Like yeah, the biggest lesson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The biggest lesson is I have a team, a brilliant team, and when you build a team then you kind of like, if you really think about it journalistically, you have like a mini newsroom, which Mm -hmm. then means there needs to be people management and there needs to be management of systems. And that's the biggest challenge for me is like, oh, wait a minute, like this is now a thing. And so there just needs to be those, those supports in place. And I think that is something that is a lesson that anybody who takes on the endeavor of producing a media product and it starts to grow these are the things that you have to look at and consider because you want to build a culture, a, a positive culture of folks who are mm-hmm. committed to the work. And so the people management is a thing that honestly, Christabel, I did not realize that that takes 70 to 80%. And that's that's just a fact. That's not a knock on anybody. It is a fact even no matter in what industry you're working on. If you've got five or 10 people working with you, there is people management there and there needs to be those supports in place to, to support that. And I can't be the one to do it. (laughs) TMI, your production company, right? You're committed to creating safe spaces to tackle race and racism. What does that look like? That feels very broad. The show is very specific in how it does it. But how else do you do that or hope to do Mm. that? That's a great question. So TMI is really young. That that um, description, a safe space for black and brown people to have these mm-hmm. conversations, that mm-hmm. is truth be told. TMI mm-hmm. more broadly, I'm thinking about what what the mission of this organ this company is. That is something that I haven't thought of thought about deeply because I've been so deep in truth be told at this time. But mm-hmm. ultimately, I want to be able to produce content that informs, delights, adds depth and context and understanding to the world around us. And that can look lots of different ways. That can be journalistically, that can be deep narratives, that can be fiction, that can be Mm -hmm. just conversation. What that Mm -hmm. will look like over time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still creating and thinking through. When I listen to you, I'm going back to the, the, the show itself and the content. When I listen to you talking to your guests, whether it's James, your wonderful story editor, or it's Jamila Lemieux. Mm-hmm. I can never say her last name. I have talked to her. Forgive me. Um, <laughs> Jamila Lemieux. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just going to say it's my accent. Um, yep. And even that that episode was really powerful because it came off the back of her um, her piece about her Dave article Chappelle. for Vanity Fair for yes, Dave, Dave Chappelle and our relationship with black men, black women and black yes. men. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're tackling black love, you're tackling faith, you're tackling the things that while they are 
encapsulated um, for the sake of your show in the black American experience as somebody who's not black American. Yes, I've lived here for, for a while, but I those things resonate with me because diasporically, these are things that we connect with. We connect on, right? Because Ooh, so how do you identify? A black Brit. A Ghana, okay. a Ghana Brit. I'm a Ghana Brit. British born Ghanaian. See, I've even edited myself. That's there's so many things, so many ways. British born living Ghanaian. in America. Yeah. So Correct. you'd say yes. Okay. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I connect to the idea of of being raised in a, a faith based house or having church around the house because we didn't go to church all the time. But church is just there. No matter who you are, church, there's a church somewhere or something happening. And having a, a questioning relationship with it at some point because it is a relationship so it'll it'll ebb and flow and whether it's because of you know your um your sexuality or, wh or whatever identities it is at some point you have you're going to come into conflict with that because of the people that you love and what that means right yeah, yeah. but likewise you're talking about black love and what that is and with that conversation i love the way that you actually turned it you didn't turn it on his head but you turned it slightly in that you were talking about obligation, but really that obligation was, when do we stop? Call, when do we start calling each other out on the things that hurt each other? Because yeah. what is black love in that sense? And that was a really powerful conversation. I say all of this because when I'm listening to you talking to people, you sound really invested in the mm -hmm. conversations. Mm -hmm. What are you learning? What do you? I feel like you, you're you're ingesting something or you're learning something with every person that you're speaking to what are you thinking in those moments yeah you know I'm I see myself as a proxy to the listener mm -hmm. um in that I'm discovering I'm searching I'm also searching for those things that which that the audience is asking and searching within themselves you know when it comes to religion in particular you're bringing up that part of it and faith Black identities typically are rooted in in some sort of faith system. Yes. And especially if you are bred here in America, there's this sense of underpinning of Christianity. There's lots of other religions that people subscribe to, but by and large, that is the dominant. And at this moment, you can't help but feel when there's so much despair and pain, there's so many people who are questioning. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like you can't talk about love and liberation and in this season that we're wrapping up, it's about nourishment and what that means beyond food. You can't have those conversations without bringing up faith and religion. Like mm -hmm. you, I, I actually grew up, grew up in a very religious household. My family would actually, they're, they're offended every time I say it, that we're not religious, that we are faith-based, but we're not religious. They have a negative <laughs> connotation to this idea of religious. They think that means like super, I don't know, whatever they feel. You're godless. Um, You're yes. godless. <laughs> exactly. So... Um, you know, when I, I, growing up in that environment, I did not question until I left home and I started mm -hmm. to experience and see other, you know, identities and understand how other people saw the world. And so I think it's just a natural thing to question. And just like a journalist, you're questioning. I wanted to talk with people who were questioning or thinking more deeply about it. But what I'm thinking about when I'm excavating, I'm just trying to get to the closest, I'm trying to get close to the truth for the people that I am. Um, interviewing or having a conversation with. I'm trying to get them to an intimate place because that intimate place is where we all could see ourselves and ourselves reflect it. So in what I love the most when people give me feedback about the show is when there's a particular episode and they immediately start telling me their story. 
that's when I know that, oh, this episode really hit for them. Because that's what you want is for people to listen to an episode and start to reflect in their own lives and then be able to impart maybe some gold coins within the episode that they can then use as language to make sense of their worlds. And so that's what I'm thinking about. But I'm also like I go back to like me and young Tanya. I'm also just nosy and curious myself, like with Jamila Lemieux, she wrote that article about black men showing up for us. And also black men really subscribing to patriarchy and homophobia as an yes. identity, like, in, you know, and how that hurts and harms us. And I just wanted to know more about like how she came to that. And so that was mm -hmm. my, where my curiosity lied with her and, and what she wants to see or mm -hmm. what she wants as a, as a woman, as a black woman. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've created a safe space for yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, like I, I've tried in other spaces, like, you know, as the host of here and now, <laughs> you know, there are things that happen and I'm like, okay, we don't really need that conversation. We need this conversation and mm -hmm. I have it. And then I get all of this slew of mail from white, white people who are like, what is this? You know, oh um, yeah. <laughs> it's such I an exhausting place to be, you know, it you're, you're saying that and I'm getting PTSD myself because I'm like, yeah, like it's the way that we start second guessing ourselves. Your instincts yeah. are on point. But when you go to a certain institution or a certain place where you want to do the thing because you're told that's the thing to do. Yeah. You're then placed in a position where you're constantly second guessing yourself because you're trying to you're trying to serve an audience that you'd like to serve but in a very circular way because when you present the idea there's always someone saying but who why would I care well, what do you mean right. what did you read it in the times that's my favorite was it in the times was it, I, in, the no, it times. in the times no it was in the well, local paper exactly like and and so with that that's what I mean about assessing where journalism is in this moment and us mm -hmm. reassessing everything we know and understand and believe about it. Because if you say I'm important, my identity is important, having a black woman hosting this show is important, but you want me to then replicate what my white colleagues are doing, then that's yeah. not bringing me. That is actually not valuing me. That's just like, you know, that's just like a token. Mm -hmm. um, to that point, like I, I think earnestly, journalistic institutions want, want that, but this is America and <laughs> white supremacy rules. And I just, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, that, that beast is so big that it takes intentionality on every front from middle to management to reporters, to higher leadership, to say like, this is not the thing that we're going to subscribe to anymore. And it's hard to do because right in this moment too, we're dealing with like the most crazy chaotic news cycle of our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So how are you able to have these deep, thoughtful excavations and at the same time cover this news every day when you don't know what's going to happen from minute to Literally minute? Yourself. It's almost impossible. It's yeah. almost impossible. Now, sidebar. On one hand, I'm very sharp. On the other hand, I can be a bit, I can be a bit slow. <laughs> I was looking at the artwork <laughs> of your piece, which I love. I remember looking going, it's great. And then I realized, you know, because you refer to some of your guests as like the queen of swords or, you know, like the magician oh, or yeah, the lover, the tarot. right? Oh, yeah, the tarot, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. I was like, 
wait, he's a tarot class. It took me two minutes. And dear listener, I'm looking at Tonya and I see, yes, you were inspired by the tarot cards because she has this wonderful picture behind her. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It's gorgeous. It's a black woman. The magician, it says. That's why I said The that. magician, yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, that story about that is season one of Truth Be Told. So I acquired Truth Be Told from KQED in 2020. But in 2018, we started the podcast at KQED. And the team that I was working with, all of us are very much into tarot. We're very much into the woo-woo. I'll just tell you. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm into the woo-woo just as something that's fun. Like, I don't, you know, it's nice to, like, talk about crystals and stuff like that. And some of my other team members were even more into it. So we leaned into it. We thought about it. Like, if this is a place for advice where we're having wise ones come in, that element of the tarot is, like, a nice way to be able to bridge and bring that in. Over time, it has evolved, and now it's more of a softer thing that we do when we're talking about it, but we're thinking intentionally about the advice that is given and the person that is on as the wise one and matching them with the tarot in particular. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Literally, I was going through this as I was prepping, and I just went, wait a minute. Wait a yeah. What? Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, you sound like you're building your media empire that may or may not be your intention, but with truth be told and your mission, I'm like, oh, I see, you know, brick by brick. Yeah. You're just doing, putting one foot in front of the other. So I'm right. sure there are lots of people out here who are inspired by, by what you were doing, because I think there are a lot of people out there who are trying to create their content and they may not know how to do that. What piece of advice would you give someone who's starting out or maybe feel stuck because you talked about building a team you mm -hmm. talked about all of these things I can imagine there are people out there going but that's money mm -hmm. that's time these mm -hmm. are resources that I don't have mm -hmm. other than saying don't be scared which is what yeah. I would say because you have to do it is right. there any other advice you'd give people you know you're right I am building an empire and I have to lean into that I mean I actually say that to myself you. like yeah <laughs> but the thing that I would say is only from my own experience and that is I also have leaned into something that I deeply feel passionate about and I love and I would do if and I have done for the last 20 something years just doing the work and being curious and just loving this craft so much and that success comes over time when you're when you are deeply invested in love what you do. Now, being strategic about it, I mean, because you have to eat, you have to take care of yourself, but that is at the core. I never went into journalism because I wanted success or fame. In yeah. fact, like, if I did, I probably would have chosen a much a different career. I was going to say, <laughs> that's not the career for that. And I think some of the things that I, when I talk to, because I have a lot of um, young mentees, you know, we talk a lot about brands and building your brands. And sometimes that can get confusing in this landscape because you're told, hey, do what you love, do what brings you, you know, and when you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life and the money will come. And at the same time, it's like, but oh yeah, but you know, you'd have to build your brand and you have to be, you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to build audience and get people interested in you. And that might be diametrically imposed to who you are and what you are doing and what your purpose is. And so I guess like the long way of saying, I think being quiet enough to figure out, to try to lean into what your purpose is, is the guide. Don't you think? 
I do. I'm agreeing with you. And I'm saying that because as much as I agree with you and I, I, I have leaned into that, my, what I, I get excited about is that I, I leaned into my purpose, but even in that moment, I wasn't sure that was the purpose. I started just to follow my gut because I think sometimes you have to excavate the trash, right? Because you've had years of years of building this stuff. And then as you, as you put one foot in front of the other, the voice does get louder and you do absolutely have to lean into your purpose yeah. And then the road starts to reveal itself. And it's very yeah. scary at the start, but it is absolutely rewarding to do so. So, yes, I am agreeing with you, but I was nodding slowly because I know how many people are going to be afraid to hear that. Mm-hmm. And brand versus be, purpose. Yeah. Brand yeah. versus purpose, you know, and mm-hmm. well, brand versus purpose. But I think the brand becomes defined by that purpose because you know what the message is. You know what the message is. That's right. That's right. That's right. Leaning into that fear, but being strategic is important. I'm fearful all the time. Sometimes I'm like, what the hell am I doing? What? Like, you know, I stepped away from being the host of here and now when, you know, that's a coveted position to be an NPR host, but I stepped away because I felt like my purpose was, was taking me somewhere else. And that is, you know, sometimes you also have to take leaps, being smart about it, but taking leaps that that may be unconventional for your higher purpose. Uh, you've nailed it there. I say that all the time because every time that I was scared, but I did it anyway, the payoff was the thing because yeah. it was my intuition who was telling me that's, that's where you need to go. But you yeah. did do a brave thing because, like you said, you were in a coveted position. Why would you ever want to leave that job? The accolades, all of that wonderful stuff. Why would you ever want to give that up? Mm-hmm. And you said, right. that's not the thing. That's not the There must thing. have been people calling you crazy. There yeah. must have been people rolling their eyes. But in the end, it was that voice that said, that's what I have to do. And, and you know, I hope and it looks like you, you feel much better for it. I do. I mean, I feel much more fulfilled. I'm understanding my purpose. And that's not to say that the purpose, I wasn't fulfilling a purpose in that particular role. Mm. But, you know, um, very quickly, January 6th was was kind of the turning point for me. I was hosting special coverage of for NPR for the insurrection for four hours straight. We were watching it mm. live and I was giving play by play and asking questions and thinking about what this meant. And um I got off the air after that and my whole body, like it felt like lead. It felt Mm. like this was not where I want to be and what I want to be doing. Here I am a black woman leading this country (laughs) to understand the ugliness that we're seeing. And I still get hate mail from people who are like, you know, you black bee, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's like the ugliness that is targeted specifically at you. And and then you're being told, well, you have to be objective and you have to be objective and you have to be objective. How can you be objective when you're petrified? How do you be objective when you're constantly told to effectively swallow your feelings so you can Mm -hmm. do the job? That's a lot to ask of people. So I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here too. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Oh, thank you very much. Tonya Mosley is the host of Truth Be Told and is the founder of the production company TMI. She's also a correspondent for Here and Now at WBUR. But everybody, please check out Truth Be Told. Tonya, give us the URL. Where do we listen to that? Apart from 
everywhere that you like to listen to your podcasts. Where right. else can everywhere, find it? right? Everywhere you get your podcasts. But um, if you go to our website, deartbt.com, there's also additional resources there and information and um, really great things from our guests that you can enjoy. Excellent. We'll make sure that we put that up on our website as well. Tonya Mosley, thank you so, so, so much. Thank you, Christabel. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with the wonderful Tonya Mosley. She's the host of the award-winning podcast, Truth Be Told. She's also an award-winning journalist. You can listen to Truth Be Told and this show, The Cypher, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Follow Tonya Mosley on Instagram. She's at Tonya Talks. That's T-O-N-Y-A Talks. And at Dear T-B-T. And on Twitter, she's at Tonya Mosley and Dear Truth Be Told. If you haven't already, like and subscribe to The Cypher Podcast and tell your friends to do the same, please. The Cypher is a partner podcast of The Cypher Newsletter. Go to our website, the-cypher, that's C-I-P-H-E-R.com to sign up for the newsletter so you can discover more great podcasts from Africa and the diaspora. You'll also get production tips from industry pros and you'll get to, you know, learn a little bit more about me as well. Tess Goodwin edited The Cypher and I, Christabel Insiabwadi, executive produced and hosted the show thank you so much for joining me and i'll see you next time the cypher is a my lens media production